prophetic words that were uh, handed to us this morning, and they were both really confirming one another. So Trace is going to synopsize that and just share a little bit with you all. Um, two of our ladies came forth that, that move in heavenly in the prophetic. One sees pictures and one gets words. But they both said the same thing. So we're just believing that confirmation that that's from the Lord. So let me just briefly share. The, the scripture passage was um, Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? This is, this is David saying unto the Lord. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The other one saw a picture saw a picture of a man destitute on the side of the road. Um, and, the, and the Lord was saying, it's when we are willing to say, Lord, I praise you. And this man was praising the Lord, praising the Lord. He was in the dirt. He was, he was a homeless man in the dirt, nothing. And yet he was praising the Lord. And the, and the, and the Holy Spirit came and his presence was all around this man. Glory was, on, was shown all around him. A light shone all around him. The man began to praise and lift up his hands even more. And then out of heaven began to, began to pour all the, the necessities of life. Okay, now you say, wow, that was quite a picture. Well, that sometimes God moves in pictures. But the Lord, but the, the word that went along with that was, tell them this. Just tell them that I am all they need. But when they first seek me to fulfill their every need, then they will first, when they first seek me as their need filler, as their essential need, I come with all riches. I come with all abundance. I cannot come without all that I am. Okay, he doesn't come in part. When he comes, he, he all comes. And his name is, my name is God more than enough. God, more than enough. Jehovah Jireh, he is more than enough. And that's when she saw the picture. So then the scripture went along with that. And so this morning, just be encouraged. Be encouraged that he sees your need. What we talked about this morning in prayer time. Faith is not faith on the mountaintops. Faith is only faith in the valley. Will you praise him when you're your man on the side of the road? Without substance, without food, without anything, would you still praise him and give him all the glory? Because when you do, he will come through. He wants to, as um, Creflo says, he wants to come through. He wants to show up and show out. Okay, so give him opportunity to show up and show Amen. out for you this morning. Amen. Amen. Very good. Amen. All right, we appreciate that. God stirs in the hearts of people, and it's always encouraging to hear that confirming word that comes out when, when a couple different folks hear the same thing. How many of you know that's the Lord? You can't, you can't generate that. All right, well, today I decided that I was going to start the introduction to what I promised you last week would be the May teaching series, which I've entitled Dealing with Your Dysfunction. Now, that ought to make everyone come out of their houses and come here. But there's not one of us that likes to admit that there could be dysfunctional aspects to our life. But if you don't admit that you got a little dysfunction in there, you'll never get healed, you'll never get whole, you'll never get right, you'll never get on target. So... Why don't, why don't we all just say amen when I say everyone has a little dysfunction in their life? Amen. See? I know. I, I, I've lived with people say, that's a bad confession. No, it's not. It's a reality, man. It's, 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 it's what goes on in people's lives. And until you face up to some reality, you can't put into practice just, uh, a, a, an appropriate confession. 
So all of us, all of us have a little dysfunction in our life. Some of that dysfunction is related simply to the sin nature that we've all come into this world with. I mean, sin alienates us from God. Sin blinds our eyes to the truth. So whenever sin is at work, sin instantly will cause us to walk in some dysfunction. So, so all of us, to whatever extent we've yielded to the Lord, are going to have a little dysfunction in our life. And in the month of May, for five weeks in May, I'm going to do some general counseling. Listen to me, folks. This will save you. Well, it'll save you more than money. It'll save your life, which is way more than money. But, but I, I can assure you that if you just want to boil it down to dollars and cents... Well, this is what I found out. That if you went and saw a therapist who had a master's, maybe master's in social work or a master's in counseling, I mean, you're going to be charged probably about $180 an hour. But, but you go to a, a, a PhD in psychology or you go to a psychiatrist, and man, we're talking $250 an hour. And, and maybe, maybe you've got great insurance, so you wouldn't have to pay for all of it. But truth of the matter is, you'd pay for enough of it that uh, it would cause your wallet to seize up just a little bit. And so I started thinking about this, and I thought, well, hey, I've got a doctor's degree. And um, if we were to charge $250 an hour, and you were to come five times, you'd do the math. That'd be about $1,200, $1,300. I'd probably have to give you a few tests in order to figure a couple things out. Those tests are going to cost you probably about $50 to $90 to figure out what's going on. I mean, you can start going uh, cha-ching, cha-ching, and and the whole time you're trying to get help. So let me just share this with you. I am fixing to save you literally over $1,000. For most of you, it would take more than five sessions. (laughs) Now, here's the good news. The good news is if you'll hear what I have to say for five sessions, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be so far down the road that um, you won't have to come back except for a little brush-up or touch-up session. But, but you, need, you need to hear what I'm about ready to say. And I, I got you, I told you last week I was going to get everybody a free gift. And some of you have already picked this up. Pastor Larry Stockstill, he's a part of the network of related pastors, which we are a part of. And he's written a book because he's had a heart for pastors in the church. And uh, he initially wrote the book, The Remnant, which says Restoring Integrity to American Ministry. Um, the book has been tweaked just a little bit in order to cover everyone within the life of the church. I think it's restoring uh, personal integrity uh, to Christianity. I'm not exactly sure what the subtitle is now. It's exactly the same book. And I've got one of these. I believe I got enough. One of these for every family unit. Now, some of you have already picked this up. If you picked one up under my title here, don't pick up another one because it's exactly the same book. But if you've not gotten one of these, I really encourage you to go pick one of these up. If you're single, you can pick one up for yourself. If you've got a family, you know, of 10, pick one up for the family. Uh, that may not be fair, but as I've often said, God isn't fair, God is just. And so, so your family can share one and we can get more of this disseminated. But, but I want everybody, in as much as you can, to pick one up and begin to read what he's written in here. 
because a lot of what I'm going to share is going to be found in this book. So you can read right along with what pastor is going to be sharing. I'm going to spring off of some of the concepts in here. And we're going to go in some directions that's going to bring fuller explanation. But this is an excellent book when it comes to curing American Christianity dysfunctionality. Now listen to me. When I say that the church is dysfunctional, I'm not talking about the organization. I've got some paperwork in a credenza in my office that has all sorts of files in it with regards to what it took to create legacy as an organization, as an organizational church. There's all sorts of paperwork you have to incorporate. You have to get your tax-exempt status. You have to do all kinds of things with paperwork in order to create an organization. When I say that there is a dysfunction that exists within the life of the church, I'm not talking about organization. I'm talking about what the church really is, and that is people. Do you understand? We here together, we is the church. You understand that, right? I, I mean, you can have all kinds of paperwork, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're the church. We as people are the church. And we as people have got to begin to knock out some of the dysfunctionality in our life in order that we can demonstrate what it is that Jesus can do in a person's life. And the problem is that Jesus is not less powerful than he was 50 years ago. It is not that he was less powerful than he was 100 years ago or that, he was any less, or that he's any less powerful than he was 2,000 years ago. The problem is, is that there are some things that we've not put together, understood, in order that we can begin to let him bring solutions and answers and functionality to our life. You following me? I'm believing as I'm looking at you, you're listening real carefully. See, Jesus isn't just about getting you to heaven. He's about changing the quality of your life. I mean, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I hope you are too. I'm glad that whenever that day comes and I'm called to go home, I am, I am so grateful that he has provided the way for me to get to heaven. But can I just tell you this? That, that it's not just getting us to heaven. It's not just getting a fire insurance. It's receiving a quality of life that is distinguishably different than how everyone else lives life. And we're living in an era, folks, listen to me. We're living in an era where the church is so busy trying to relate to people who are dysfunctional. dysfunctional. We're, we're, and, and I understand why. We're wanting folks to know, hey, we're like you. We put our pants on the same way. We get dressed the same way. We face the same struggles and challenges you face. But what has happened slowly and insidiously is that the church has slowly been pulled down. We've related so well that now we're just as dysfunctional as they are. And that was never the heart of God. Jesus walked among men. He was tempted the same way all men are tempted. He was challenged the same way all men were challenged. He related to them because he walked with them. He talked with them. He was in the midst of what they faced. He faced it too. But the key was he faced it with a distinguishable difference than everyone else did. Now, he related, but he did not relate in that dysfunctionality. This is where you and I have got to get to. We have got to get to the place where we can say, I, I don't want to be, 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 because we're not putting on airs, we're not becoming plastic, we're, we're not becoming, 
you know, uh, hiding. We're not hiding things. We're not, we're not talking about that. We need to relate, but, but we've got to find a reality in Jesus Christ that distinguishably causes us to be different. Are you with me? In other words, when they're getting blown out of the water, we're challenged, but it's not like we're blown out of the water. When they're falling apart, we we may face the same things, but for whatever reason, we're not falling apart. Can I just tell you that that when everything's good, like the economy we're in right now, before when all the economy was good, and everybody was making big bucks, and everybody had a job, and everybody was, was riding the good times, I mean, it's easy at that point to, you know, have a toothy smile, to be full of joy. You know, all the deals are falling, all the sales are happening, everything's going good. And you know, the world and the church, it isn't going to look that much different. But I'll tell you, when it all matters, it's when the economy goes south and everybody's losing their job. And it's not working out like it was. I'm telling you, this is a prime time moment in the world for them to look at us. Not that we aren't challenged by the same economic features they are. Not that we don't have the same struggles and concerns that they have. But they can look at us and, and as they're full of fear and worry and anxiety and all the things that it's producing, they can begin to look at you and say, how come you're at peace? How come you have some joy? How come, you know, my marriage, we're fussing in my marriage because of the economic strain we're under. But you, you aren't fussing. Why is that? Why is it that, that this is happening to me, but it's not happening to you? Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's an answer to all of this. But we've got to grab it and apply it and walk it out in our life. And, and so for the month of May, we're going to talk about this. Now, listen to me. This is all introduction. I'm not even to my notes yet. How do I want to say? I want to say this well. If you had a cancer and the doctor set you up for five weekly appointments that you were to come and to get your chemo or that you were to come and get your radiation, if you knew that you had a tumor and that life and death hinged on whether or not you were going to receive the medication or the... the the therapy or whatever it is in order to get rid of that thing that's inside of you, I can almost assure you that we would drop what we were doing and we would get to that appointment. Folks, until you realize that our lives, we may not have a cancer inside that's going to take us out like that, but folks, we're living lives that if they don't get changed, we're literally going to crash. And I've listened to this for years. People crashing. Things happening. Not wanting, not wanting, it seems like, to pull it together. And when they do want to pull it together, they look at me and they say, well, I don't know if I can work it out of my schedule. Oh, jeez. Well, then die. I mean, what, can I, what else? See what I'm saying? If you want a distinguishable difference in your life, you're going to have to say to yourself right now, you know what, I, I, I'm going to be there. Now, I'm not going to preach yet. I really, I don't think I preached yet, have I? Maybe I have. But I'm really going to, I'm really going to teach and I'm really going to counsel you out of the Word of God. But, but I'm going to help you. Because if you'll get these five things through the month of May, you will be so far down the road. I am not over-promising. If you will get a hold of this, it will literally get you back on track. I'm just starting 
with the introduction today. So this is what I want you to do. I want you right where you're seated right now. Imagine yourself. Oh, I can hear people now. Oh, see, he's visualizing already. All right. But imagine yourself sitting in my office or sitting in your therapist's office, sitting in your psychoanalyst's office, which, by the way, do they have couches anymore in there? They don't do the couch thing anymore. All right, well, then don't lay down in the seats here, all right? Don't. But it's just like you and me, and, 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 and we're going to enter into some directive counseling. Now, there's non-directive counseling, which means you get to talk a lot, but this is directive counseling, which means you don't get to talk much, unless you just want to nod your head and say amen. But I want you to begin to imagine that because what I'm going to sow into you is exactly that. And uh, so stop by and get the books. As soon as service is over at the info desk, stop by and get the books free to every family unit. And, and we're going to talk about this and we're going to start this morning with what I've entitled the decision to break dysfunction. The decision to break dysfunction. Two years ago, I was at a Bethany conference with Pastor Larry and um, he began to share some things with us that were heavy, they were weighty, it was important, and, and we all needed a wake-up call. He began to share how not only he had received on a plane flight a weighty word from the Lord concerning a shaking that was going to happen in this nation, but he also shared with us how James Robinson had also received a word from the Lord about how America is not going to be immune from judgment if it continues in its current ways. Don't think for a moment that America somehow has reached the place where we will be spared the judgment of God if we don't change. Now, listen to me. Something's wrong. Now, I can go th you know, through all the egregious sins, but something is wrong. Is it not true? Something is wrong in our culture when we venerate unrighteousness and we think righteousness is odd. There's something wrong when we'll look at homosexuality and lesbianism and we'll think somehow or another that's to be venerated. But when someone decides they're going to wait to have sex before they're, you know, until they're married. Or, or they're going to work within a covenant. And, and it's somehow that's odd. I mean, we have reached the place where it's now cool to go to rehab. But somehow or another you're a square if somehow you're just, you're, 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 you're a nuclear normal American family. Somehow or another, we have got to get a hold of the fact that, that the number one songs in America are things like, you know, I kissed a girl, sung by a girl, and I liked it. Do you understand? That's what our kids listen to on MTV and that stuff. But if we play Christian music, somehow or another, that's offensive. So we've, we've got to understand that we are living in a world that is absolutely convoluted. And you've got to begin to understand that if you want to be functional, you're going to have to step out of dysfunction. Revival has to touch us. I'm just touching on some high points. Revival is going to have to touch everybody. It's going to have to touch leaders down to the kids. Every person, no matter how old or how young they may be, needs help. We've got, listen, chief executive officers of major corporations that don't have enough sense as they're laying off thousands of workers to give themselves hundreds of millions of dollars of bonuses. Let me tell you something. I am very conservative in my politics, but I don't go just with a party. There are some things that are wrong. And I'll offend you if you're a Republican and I'll offend you if you're a Democrat or an Independent because my allegiance is not to a party. It is to God's word and his principles. 
And something is wrong. Something is wrong. When we begin to see chief executive officers of investment corporations, like, like what was that one guy? Is, uh, what's his name? The, the Madoff guy that's billions of dollars. He took from people that he knew. Billions of dollars. And just, and just ponzied the whole thing and got rid of... Can we say that's dysfunctional? Dysfunctional. We've got politicians in their sex scandals. We've got preachers in their scandals and issues. I heard someone the other day say that of the 380,000 pastors in America, there may be 20% of them in trouble. That's 75,000 people we would call men of God. Listen to me. It doesn't stop there, but it trickles on down. Until we get having 14-year-olds on Oprah Winfrey discussing how they're ready to have sex. Like this is going to be a discussion. Listen to a discussion. There's no discussion. They know 14-year-old in my house going to have sex. It'll be over my preaching righteous dead body. I mean, think about that. I mean, we got kids. We got Listen to me. Kids cutting themselves and they think it's cool. We are dysfunctional. And it is time we have to deal with our dysfunction. Do you and I understand how precipitous the edge our nation is standing on at this very moment? Do you understand that right now, right now, we're redefining the very, the very bottom line concept of society, which is marriage. We're redefining these things. I'm, I mean, we've got to understand our economies crumbling. Our, our sacred structures are crumbling. Everything in front of us is, is, is on shaky ground. And we, as a nation and as a people, are in a very precipitous position. And unless we as the people of God get our act together, we really have nothing to say to anyone else. That's why the Lord said that judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment doesn't start at the White House. It doesn't start in Washington, D.C. or Columbia. It doesn't even start with your next door neighbor. God's going to put the spotlight on you and on me. And it's not to harm us. It says that if we'll walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood will cleanse us. From all sin. So the light comes that we might be cleansed. But we've got to embrace all of these things. Now, the American church is currently in a mode that will do and say just about anything to get a crowd. Now, a crowd certainly represents individuals. I, I know that, that no matter how many folks show up on a Sunday, I understand that everyone is a person. And they're an important person. And, and they have every expectation to be uh, dealt with with dignity and appreciated and loved and all the things that an individual needs. So I understand that a crowd represents individuals, but there has, in the last couple of decades, developed a diluting of the purposes of God in the earth in order to maintain the crowd. 
And as we grow larger and larger, the greatest concern for me is that we don't multiply our dysfunction and disorder. Because you see, you can keep growing and growing and growing and growing, but all you're doing is multiplying your dysfunction. We've got to multiply function and health and order. In a human body, if good cells multiply, that's a good thing. That's called health. But if a rogue thing begins to multiply, that is called cancer. And so I am convinced of a couple of things. I believe that there's a growing number of people, Christians, pastors, who I believe we could call remnant, who really desire to be functional in their relationships. They want to be functional in their their families. They want to be functional in their marriage. They want to be functional in their church. They want to be functional in their business. I, I mean, they want their life to be functional. I mean, is it not true that it, that it works really well if we can go home and everything's functional? Isn't it good when you can go to work and everything's functional? Isn't that good? Well, we all want that. And I believe we here at Legacy are at a perfect place to begin to meet the need for people wanting to deal with dysfunctionality. That doesn't mean we're perfect people. I I know most of you here, so I can attest that it ain't perfection yet. But having said that, I can also say this, that there's a lot of pursuit of wholeness going on as well. You see, God is calling for change in order so that he can multiply something that will radically change the world. And ask yourself this question. If God multiplied my life, if God multiplied my marriage, if God multiplied my family, my church, if he multiplied my ways, my thoughts, if he were to multiply who it is that I really am, what would the world look like? Now, that's almost scary. Now, if you have your Bibles, open it up to the Old Testament, to Joel chapter 3. Joel is in those minor prophets, you know, but he said some things that are really good. Joel chapter 3, I'm going to read a couple verses in spring, and this is just introduction stuff. Hopefully that will solicit your desire to want to be a functional people. Joel 3 verse 13, Joel 3 13, it says this. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. Then interestingly, for their wickedness is great. Verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now I read this verse to you because in the book of Joel there are are really many, many verses that reference the end-time outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe that in the last days, God's going to pour forth of His Spirit and that there's going to be a worldwide renewal and revival that will take place before Jesus comes to receive His church. Now, the Scripture here in Joel says that the harvest of souls will be ready to reap. He says that the anointing, as he mentions the wine vats, the wine press, it says it's overflowing. And so the imagery there is that the anointing is going to be overflowing. There's going to be this intense uh, uh, glory that will be released. It will be effective. But at the same time that God is doing these sorts of things, the scripture tells us that wickedness in the earth will also be great. Now that matches up with Isaiah uh, chapter 60 where it says, That darkness has covered the earth. Yes, gross darkness. 
But he says in the midst of this gross darkness, that there will be a light that will shine. And out of that light that shines, the scripture tells us, he says that it will draw kings and princes to the brightness of its rising. Now, let me tell you what I have come to understand that to mean. That in the midst of one of the most dysfunctional time periods in all of human history, darkness, gross darkness. I mean, I won't even go down the list of gross darkness that's out there. But in the midst of this gross darkness, there's going to be a light that will shine. And it will be such a light, such effectiveness, such influence, such a need for it to shine that literally, hear me, government officials, literally people of authority, folks that have great influence will suddenly swarm to the brightness of its rising because there's going to come a day that we're going to find out and it doesn't matter if it was George Bush or if it's Barack Obama we're going to find out that there are some things money can't buy and it, this, is not, this is not an economic philosophy this is just biblical precept there are some things you can't buy your way out of there are some things you can't fight your way out of there are some wars that can't be waged in the flesh. There are some things that take place that human effort just cannot solve. Washington is not big enough to fix where we're at. Because the key isn't legislating more. The key is getting into American homes. Getting them fixed. The Bible says here that, that the day of the Lord is near doesn't say that it's come yet, but it says it's near. And when the day of the Lord comes near, you'll find multitudes in the place of decision. The place of decision. Multitudes, multitudes, it says, in the valley of decision. Just get this picture real quick before we walk on. In the valley of decision. Anytime you're at a crossroad and you've got to make a decision, it's always a valley in your life. You're never on the mountaintop. Nobody has to make decisions on the mountaintop. You're always in a valley. Now listen to me. If you don't make a decision, and especially if you don't make the right decision, you will remain in that valley. You'll never get out of the valley. You will stay forever in that ditch. You know, a valley basically is just a, a nice looking ditch. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And, and I'm telling you, it is God's will that you come out of the ditch, that you come out of the valley and that you get back on the mountaintop. But you can't get on the mountaintop until you make a decision. My interpretation is this. You cannot get God in your life circumstance until you make some decisions. Now let's talk about this by way of introduction. I'm going to talk about the three categories of decision. This is going to seem so elementary, but for some of you, I believe it's going to light some things up. This is just introduction. We haven't even got to fixing you yet. The three categories of decision. The most important thing I will say today is this. Your ability to make good decisions will determine the quality of life you enjoy. I'll say that again. Your ability to make good decisions will determine the quality of life you will enjoy. What you enjoy by way of a quality of life right now, what you enjoy is based on decisions you've made in your life. 
If you're having a great life, it's probably because you've made certain decisions that have been good decisions that have led you to this place of having a great life. If you have a really stinky life right now, you are here not because you're just this pawn in life's hand, but you've made certain decisions in your life that got you to where you are today. So listen, here's the good news for everyone. No matter where you're at today, you can get to a place of real greatness and goodness and contentment and joy and peace. But here's the deal. You've got to begin to put some decisions together that will get you to that place. Decisions. Decisions, decisions. One bad decision really does have the potential to literally wreck your life. I mean, I mean, you can make one bad decision and all of a sudden your whole world goes into a tailspin. Now, I will say this. Normally, what happens is that people make a series of poor decisions. And so they've made so many poor decisions that by the time they make this one bad decision, they think that if they hadn't have made that one bad decision, that it wouldn't have turned their life into such an upheaval. But truth of the matter is that one bad decision was simply the straw, so to speak, that broke the camel's back. You see, the devil has deceived you to think, well, if I just hadn't made that one decision, I wouldn't be in this really terrible situation. When truth is, you probably made 10 or 15 poor decisions, but you got away with it for a while. But then that one decision was the one that set on top of all these poor ones that made your life come crashing down. Now, one good decision can indeed begin to reverse a lifetime of bad decisions. Now, what do I mean by that? For instance, you know, there are lots of people that are having a really terrible time in life and they hear the gospel message and they, they are touched in their heart truly. They want to get their life right with God and they make their decision. They're, they're born again, they're converted and they make a decision and literally that one decision begins to turn their life around. One good decision can reverse at times even a lifetime of bad decisions. You can be lost in a forest. But if all of a sudden you decide to get the compass out and it points you north and it can set you in a direction that will get you out of this forest, you can take that first step and you can reverse all the crazy steps you took all through that forest. So accepting the Lord, for instance, and his ways can begin to reverse a lifetime of poor decisions. But the truth is, however, you must begin to put together good decisions one after the other, in order to begin to deal with dysfunctions that you have lived with for literally decades. So you've got to put some decisions together in order to reverse, oftentimes, a lot of poor decisions. One decision is great, but if you make one good decision, but you're still making two dozen poor decisions, you can begin to do the math. You're not going to get ultimately to where you need to be. So I, I, I'm going to just share with you a couple of things. Write these things down. I'm going to put it on the screen overhead. Three types of decisions. What, number one, is a good decision? Say, so, wow, we're really going to get down to this, huh? Yep. This is, this is breaking dysfunction 101. What is a good decision? It is a decision that is based on your next door neighbor's advice who had a cousin one time that had the same thing happen to him. Are you following me? Oh, you'd be amazed. 
A decision, a good decision, is one that is based on the wisdom of Scripture and the witness of the Spirit that is neither hasty nor fearful and follows your core values. Now you go ahead and write that down. It's based on the wisdom of Scripture, the witness of the Spirit. It's not hasty nor fearful, but follows your core values. The reason many people are in trouble is because, number one, they don't know Scripture. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. If you don't know the Bible, you're already in sort of trouble. Because what are you basing your decisions on? They don't know the Bible. They, they don't think the ministry of the Holy Spirit is important. You know, the Bible says that as many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if you're in a situation, you're in a church or you're in a fellowship that doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit or, or doesn't at least vet, uh, uh, value his ministry, how can you be led by him? I've heard people say this. They say, well, we just don't, we don't get into the Holy Spirit stuff very often. You know, we leave that to sort of, you know, midweek service and people will stumble into that, I guess, if they want it. Well, I don't get that because if I don't have the Holy Spirit 24-7, I'm not going to make it. I got to understand how he works in me. And so they don't know scripture. They, they don't think the ministry of the Spirit is important. They move out of their fears and they haven't decided what their core values are going to be yet. Now, when you know, listen to me, I, I mean this, when you know your core values, 90% of your decisions are already made. It is for me. Really, life's pretty easy now for me. I mean, there aren't, I mean, I'm not saying I don't face tough decisions, but a lot of decisions of my life are already settled because I know my core values. I have no conflict. For instance, this is, I, I never struggle over, should I go to church or not? I mean, I don't get up in the morning and have this great big issue. Well, you say, well, you're a pastor. No, I'm a Christian. So I have no conflict over this. See, there's no conflict for me. Should I, should I go to that cocktail party? I, I, I don't go. I better call the prayer chain. Should I marry this person? Well, what do you mean? Well, I know several things. I know that I can't be unequally yoked. I know the scripture says that. I know I'm going to have to be on the same page. I know I'm supposed to be with a believer. See, a lot of decisions are just instant. Should I take that job that pulls me out of the house of God and away from my Christian friends? And should... Well, you don't understand. I've got to pay the bill. Well, okay. How, how big's your God? Are you hearing what I'm saying? What are your core values? Should I be friends with them? Well, they don't know the Lord. They get in trouble all the time at school. They're partiers. They have a potty mouth. They're rebellious with their parents. I know the Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. See, there's just no conflict in me because I know my core values. Should I participate in this activity or that activity? Well, there's no, there's no conflict because I understand the activities that the Lord smiles upon and those that he wouldn't smile upon. Hey, this is another one. Should I or should I not have sex with this person? Now, if it's my wife, that's an easy answer. Well, I'm just, I'm, you would think this would be fairly well known. But it's not. Should I say this? Should I not say this? Do you understand that if your core values are set in your life, there are a lot of things that are really easy. It's not, it's not a strain anymore. It's not a strain to change the channel. It's not a strain to stay away from that movie. 
It's not a strain to go down the road and to see whatever sports bar it is and, and thinking, should I go? Should I not go? What should I do? What should I do? No, I just, there's no strain anymore because the core values of my life are set. And hear me now. It's not just pastor. It's people. You set your core values and 90% of what you face is already decided. Now, what's a bad decision? A bad decision is a decision that is based upon emotions. Now, I'll just give you some examples. Like I said, fear, frustration. Has anybody here ever made a decision out of frustration? A few of us have. I'll admit, I've made some decisions. I made some dumb decisions because I was frustrated. There's about three of us, Steve. God bless you, though. I just want you to know about three of us have been frustrated. I'm telling you, when, when, when we're making decisions just out of emotion, fear, frustrations, anger, depression. So when we're ba- making decisions based on an emotion, jealousy, covetousness, You're hearing what I'm saying. When they're made based on emotions and or or outward appearances, that is short-term and speculative. Anything, listen to me, in fear brings haste. If you move in fear without question, almost always you're out of God's time. Because what you say is, I fear, so I better do something quickly. Anything that brings short-term accommodation usually brings trouble. You need to be prepared for long-term consequences. People make poor decisions because they have allowed their senses and they have allowed their soul to rule unchallenged. How many people are killed because they had a domestic violence experience? I mean, they got angry with each other, something went awry, they're fussing with each other, then all of a sudden a gun gets pulled out and somebody gets shot and the police take him down into into jail. He stands before the judge and he looks at the judge, and I believe this at times, when they look in, they say, I never meant for it to go this far. Well, I'm sure you didn't. But in the midst of that emotion, you began to make decisions. How many babies are conceived out of a covenant marriage because a decision was made in the midst of an emotion. How many divorces are filed for? How many drug deals are happening because of an emotion? How many DUIs? How many sales and purchases are made because purely of emotion? These are poor decisions. And you stack these up. Folks, if let's just say, let's just do something not so egregious, but let's just say we are just impulse spenders. And so every time we go out, we're always buying something. So we bought something that one time, not a good decision, but we got away with it. Then we bought something the next time, wasn't a great decision, but we got away with it. Do you understand you make 3, 4, 10, 15, 25, and all of a sudden you bought that one thing that crashes you financially. It's not that one thing that crashed you financially. It was the 10 or 15 decisions that you had made out of that habit That chronic, unchallenged moment that led you to that place of a quality of life now that is not abundant and it is not what God has promised. Now, the good news is this. Listen to me. I'm not here to pound you for being here. No matter why you're here, I'm not here to jump on you and pound you and make you feel bad. You feel bad enough. But what I am here to say to you is that if you find yourself in these moments, whatever it may be, relationally, financially, in your family, in your marriage, in your job, in your business, wherever it is, you're standing here and everything's collapsed. 
You have got to get to the place where you turn and you begin to put your good decisions together. Are you following me? Now, I know what you want to do. You want to do this. And that's not how it always works. I'm glad this is not on DVD, by the way. <laughs> then finally, the third level is what is no decision. No decision is when you postpone a decision because of fear of error. Maybe, maybe you're fearing a friendship. Maybe you're even overconfident. You'll say, oh, I don't have to do anything about it. So uh, I just, it'll all, it'll all work out. Or avoiding responsibility. Now, what is no decision is the fancy word for procrastination. It will paralyze you. And what usually happens is that others will end up making the decision for you. You know, procrastination is, is, is a tough thing because, because we're putting off what needs to be decided. But as we put it off, that decision is going to be made somewhere. Now, there is an appropriate time to think about a decision. I'm not suggesting every decision has to be made like this. There's an appropriate time to pray about things, to consider things. To think about things, to weigh them out. So I'm not suggesting that there's not a moment when these things aren't carefully considered. But we all know there's a difference between carefully considering something so you aren't hasty and those who wait perpetually and they procrastinate because it will cause you to be pushed into a place that may not be good. Now, a decision is a choice of direction. Every time you make a decision, you are choosing a direction. If you choose to act carnally, you are choosing a direction. If you choose to implement God's will, you are choosing a direction. If you are choosing to work by your emotion, you're choosing a direction. Every decision entails a direction. You're not just making a decision for that one point, but you're actually beginning to choose a purpose. You're actually beginning to set in motion a resolve that only you can make. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I really do. I believe that he can do whatever he chooses to do whenever he chooses to do it. But the Bible is clear about this. It's clear at least I counted up and I just quit counting at least 331 times that he has linked himself. He has linked his help. He has linked his blessings to certain decisions that we must make in order to release what it is he can do. That's why it says, if you obey the voice of the Lord thy God, then will I. See, that's a decision. And, and so we've got to learn as the people of God to make good decisions. He has linked your financial help to your obedience in the tithe and in the offering. He has linked himself to that. He has linked encouragement to your participation in the house of God. He has linked his voice to your prayer life and devotional life. I've looked at people and said, I don't hear from God anymore. Well, are you, how's your devotional life? Well, it's really not very good. Are you praying any? No, I really don't have any time to pray. And so here we are kind of sitting looking at each other. And you don't hear the voice of the Lord your God and you're wondering why. You're making a decision. In James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, this is the good news translation, but I thought it was a good translation. This is what it says. Listen, it says double-minded people, which are actually people who are unable to make a decision. 
Double-minded people must not think that they will receive anything from the Lord. Isn't that interesting? But that's how one translation gives it. It's like Elijah when he looked at the nation of Israel and he said, How long will you halt between two opinions? So why is it important? Let's talk about why all of this is important to dysfunction. Decisions involve transitions. A decision is a transition from where you are to where you want to be. You must make a decision before you will change or go anywhere. I'll say that again. You must make a decision before you change or go anywhere. The key is to make a good decision and then stick with it. The resolve of your decision provides the strength of your discipline to begin to follow through. So this is what I'm getting down to. It's this. Your dysfunction will never change. Whatever it may be, however you define it, your dysfunction will never change unless you begin to make decisions. Hopefully good decisions. The truth is that all of our lives are where they are today because of a decision or maybe a grouping of decisions good or bad we are here where we are because decisions have been made so in the next five weeks i'm going to share with you how to deal with some general dysfunction that you can listen to and as you listen to it if you do nothing it will never change you it will never move you or transition you or take you to another place and this is our problem in the american church is we've become so used to being entertained we become so used to seeing the show we've become so used to just simply encourage me tell me something i like tell me something that just gives me some hope tell me tell me tell me and again these things aren't bad in and of themselves but we walk out and do nothing there has to come a place where you are taught something and you must make the decision as to whether or not you will take what was taught and implemented in your life and take the step. Well, we better go this way. Take the step to begin to move the way you're supposed to go. That's why I know it happens in connect groups with the ladies, if Trace or any one of the other connect groups are happening, that they'll look and say, did you hear what pastor said? And what are we doing to move that direction? Let me tell you something. You are better off if you're just doing this. It's still better than this. Are you with me? So we've got to begin to make these decisions, make good decisions, because that's the only way your life is going to change. Let me, I'm all for, I'm all for an altar call. You know me, I, I like it. I like having like Tracy Stewart, which is a very dramatic ministry. I like that. I like all the people that have come. Pastor Rod, when he comes, lays hands on people, you know, the word of the Lord comes forth. I love all this stuff. But folks, we've got enough prophecy now. We really do. Some of you don't need another word. You need to start. I mean, I'm glad for the word, but you understand, it's not, it's not another ministry moment. It's not just another, you know, laying hands on me in a cloud of dust and a hearty high of silver. It, 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 it's, it's, really, it's really hearing the blueprint. Assimilating it into your system. And saying, what do I need to do? You, maybe I'll give you a, a 10 points. I know I do that sometimes, and I know I probably ought not give you 10. 
But even if I give you ten, take one. You're getting there. You're getting there. And this is what will happen as we begin to, as a people, individually and as a church, as we begin to move in this direction, this is what God can do. He can multiply that. How many of you in your life, you have thought this? You may have even said it, but you've at least thought it. Something has happened to you, and it's been difficult, traumatic, hard. And this is what you said to yourself. You said, oh, Lord... I, I get number one, please get me out of this. That's number one. And then number two is this. You begin to think to yourself, you know, if I can really get out of this, maybe God can use me to help other people get out of this. Have you ever thought that? I mean, I think I, I know some of you and I know some of your situations and they've been difficult situations. And, and it's more than just one or two. I, I'm talking dozens and dozens of you have looked at me and said, Pastor, I know if I can break out of this or I can break through this or I can overcome this, then I know God could use me in order to help other people. And you know what? You're right. You're right. But listen to me. Number one is you've got to turn and implement. See, you're making decisions because this is the point I'm trying to make because that, that's the Holy Ghost in you that knows that God doesn't want to multiply your dysfunction. He's trying to multiply your functionality. Okay. So that's why when people start saying that, I kind of grin and I smile. And I say, well, you're exactly right. Now, here's the deal. You know, you, you get turned around, you make your... And, and this is when it usually comes out. It comes out right here and they make one good decision. And, oh, I know God could use me and I can help other people. Well, you sure could. But let's get about, you know, 10, 15 more steps. See, we get turned around and we think we're going to get help. Well, you might help. You may be able to look at someone and say, turn around, dude. You're crashing. That's probably the extent of your help. Just turn around, dude. I was at that cliff. That's a long way down. But you're right. You are right on target when it comes to you get a few down the road and God can multiply you then and help you. Now, here are several things, and this is where I'm going to end, several statements that will help you make Good decisions. Now, please don't go out today and say, well, I don't know that that was biblical preaching. Let me tell you, I'm just counseling. I told you I was just going to counsel for a while. Biblically counsel, hopefully. But these are just some things I'm going to help you. Because you know what? I can preach and preach and preach the Bible to you, but if we're not doing this, it doesn't matter. We can, we can have a big shout it down, hoopla, run around the church. We can hand the banners and the flags and the tambourines and just have a big time. And you know what? You can, you can do your tambourine the whole way off the cliff. You hear that tambourine? Watch that streamer go, whoop. <laughs> Several statements to help you make a good decision. Number one. I cannot stay at the place I am currently living. I've come to the place where I can't stay where I'm at at this moment. We all know people who want their situation to change, but will not do anything to move from that place. They will complain, they will gripe, they will whine, they will cry. But they refuse to make a decision that will change what it is they are facing. 
whether it's a large issue in your life or whether it's a small issue in your life, it won't be fixed until you decide you no longer want to live at that place. That's why oftentimes I've looked at people and I've said it and I I say it sort of tongue in cheek, but it's very, very real. And it's this. How much pain will it take for you to reach a point of decision? Now, I will assure you, you will not outpain God. You will not outpain life. There's enough pain. About the time you think you've got all the pain you can take, there's some more pain that can come your way. Now, hear me. Pain, pain is simply, it's like a pain in your body. We've all experienced the pain in your body. You know what that means? When you've got pain in your body, it means something isn't right. Say, I'll send me to medical school, let me tell you. Have you heard the old joke about the guy who went to see the doctor? He said, doctor, every time I do this, it hurts. The doctor said, well, don't do that. Well, doctor, every time I, you know, I I move my foot like this, it hurts. He says, don't do that. I, I mean, I don't even remember how the joke ends, but it's basically don't do that. That's what pain is about. What, I've got pain in my body. Something's not right. Can, can I share this with you? If you've got pain in your life, something may be out of order. Now, there, there are, there's righteous pain. I won't deny that. Because we're, we're, we're pressing against the world system. So I, I, there will be righteous pain. But I'm telling you that there are a lot of people and the pain they face is because... They're just making these poor decisions. So how much pain will it take before you finally say to yourself, I am ready to start making better decisions here? You know, I can remember uh, years ago, I can't, I can't use the names. I have to hide the names to protect the innocent. So, um, but, but I can remember years ago, years ago, being with a group of people. None of you here, so it's not even... I, so many people listen now on iTunes. That I've actually said things that have gotten back to me through iTunes. So now I have to think about what I'm saying because it's going to be recorded for others to hear somewhere else. But, but they were always talking. It was interesting. They were always talking and they were real spiritual in their talk. And um, they would always talk about what God was doing, what God was up to. And, and, and the Lord was doing this and the Lord was doing that. And, and I would be in those same conversations. But the one difference, now this is years ago. The one difference in our household compared to these other households and these other particular people were this, is that there have been moments in Trace and Mai's life that we have literally individually and together have had to make decisions that would take us to a place. And I, Well, I'll just give you an example. I was in a dead, dry, denominational setting. I'm not saying every denominational church is dead and dry. The one I was in was. So, so I'm not making a statement across the board. But, but there came a day... When we were in this system where we finally looked at each other and we said, listen, is this what we're, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this is not good. So we've got to make a decision to begin to move this direction so we can see a quality of life, a distinguishable difference, something that will be extraordinary that God can begin to do in us. But he isn't going to do it this way. The only way he's going to do it is this way. Now, now I said all that to say this, that I have now been around long enough. I preached enough years, been enough places, met enough people to know this, that there are people that I know now 20 plus years of knowing them, even in the Lord, that they are still at the same place they were 20 plus years ago, saying the same gooey spiritual stuff. You know, saying all what God's up to in this. But they aren't going anywhere because they haven't made a decision. 
They got to make a decision. When it, you see, this, 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 this so uh, uh, begins to transcend areas. I mean, you want God to do something big in your life. Well, you're going to have to begin to make decisions to walk in faith. You're going to have to make decisions to put yourself out there a little bit further. Because I'm telling you, you keep doing this, it ain't going to happen. There comes a moment. I mean, I'm telling you, in our life, we've packed up every belonging we had and moved across the country. I was moving and doing things. Everyone else looked at me and said, you're nuts. And maybe I was nuts. And no, not everything shook out like I hoped. But I at least made a decision. I made a decision. Made a decision. And you cannot stay at the place you're currently living. When you reach that place, you're at the brink of decision. Number two, no one else can make this decision for you. Nobody else can do this but you. You, in some ways, now I understand you, this can be twisted. But I'm using these phrases just to help you a little bit. I understand that Jesus is master, God's in charge, I understand he's sovereign, but you, you are the one, you are the only one that can stiff neck and grieve the Holy Ghost. You are the only one that can look at whatever God's plan is and say, no, I don't want it. Don't want to do it, I'm not interested in doing it. No one else. God, you know, God is just amazing that he just, there are times, I know, like Jonah, he'll step in and he'll yank you around and he'll just do it despite you. But can I tell you, about the other 95% of the time, he's waiting to see if you'll walk in what he's called you to walk in. Nobody else can make a decision except you. People spend thousands of dollars on therapy, psychoanalysts, psychologists, psychiatrists. But when the session is over, your counselor cannot make the decision for you. You must decide. Can I just say this? There's a lot of psychiatrists that just love it that you won't make a decision. Because that's right. You'll, you'll keep paying your $250 per session. Oh yeah, I know the insurance picks up some of it and you don't have but a small copay. And, but he's, he'll, write, he'll write scripts and he'll get his kickbacks from drug dealers. And I mean, I, I'm not, not, hear me, I'm not against that. I'm just saying that there comes a moment when you say to yourself, no one else can make this decision but me. But me. Counseling, listen, counseling by its very nature should be bringing you to a crossroads. Whenever I I counsel someone, this is what I think in my mind, is that I must bring them to a crossroads in order that they can see before them what needs to happen in order for change to occur understanding your issue. See, this is where modern psychology fails. Modern psychology believes that if you just become aware of what it is that's causing you dysfunctionality, that the awareness in and of itself will cause breakthrough. Now, I believe awareness is critical because that's the only way it can be addressed. But that's not where it stops. You've got to make some decisions as to what you're going to do with now what you're aware of. And that's the issue. The issue is... That once you can see what the dysfunctionality is, now you know how to get Jesus and his word and his ways and his precepts into your life. It frustrates me when I see talk shows and, and, and cable news and they look and you know there was this Sunday school teacher recently who just went ballistic and shot some, some little girl, wasn't it? She killed her somehow. It was just all over. And one of the, 
one of the remarks from one of the major news sources was this, this lady who was caustically saying, well, you know, she was a Christian, and Christians just think if you have Jesus that it solves everything. And I just was like, oh, it just makes me so irritated. Because, you see, truth of the matter is everybody, not everybody, but, but a good number of folks, and hopefully in the church, love Jesus. But knowing Jesus hasn't kept your dysfunction out of your life. The, the point is, you've got to bring Jesus and his ways and his precepts and, and you've got to decide. See, you can be going to heaven, hallelujah, but you're living in hell. And you've got to begin to put those decisions together to get you to the place you're supposed to be. And no one else can do that but you. Nobody but you. Number three, I cannot expect all my friends and family to cheer all my decisions. I'm just helping you. I'm helping you. People you love may not cheer the decisions you have to make. If you decide to change, it will irritate people. In fact, I'll just give you a heads up. If you decide that some things are going to change in your life, it's going to irritate the people who want to control your life. If you decide to change, the people that have abused you will be irritated. The people who are cynics, and critics. They're people that want you just to stay like you are. Because a lot of folks, you understand, they know they're going off a cliff. They just don't want to go alone. It's always better to hold someone's hand when you go off a cliff. But the minute you make a decision that you don't want to do that anymore, they're going to look at you and they're going to tell you that you're the one that's crazy. So you can't expect all your family and friends to cheer all of your decisions. I'll just share with you, when I made a decision, for instance, the first big one, which was I was going to serve the Lord. I was 18 years old. I still lived at home. And I had to set my own alarm clock. I had to get up out of my own bed on Sunday morning, dress myself, and get to the house of God. And there was nobody in my house that was cheering me at that time. Now, that was many, many years ago. But nobody was cheering me to do that at that time. I had to choose to do that. In fact, there were times I had friends and other people who were trying to hinder me from doing that. I had to get up and do that. I, I, my, my mind is blown when I hear people say, well, you know, I just, I mean, you know, I had some family. And well, great. Great. But I'm not moving to where they are. That's what I'm trying to spring out of. And so I've got to get to the place where I realize that my crazy uncle may not like all my decisions. But he's not the one that's going to set me free from my dysfunction. you got to hear this now. Your friends, you're, you're making decisions. You're going to look at people and say, I can't go there. I can't do that. And they're going to, you think you're better than us? No, I just don't want to go off the cliff. No, I don't think I'm any better than you. As a matter of fact, I'm probably worse than you. But I've just come to the place where I just don't want to fall off that cliff. And I know where that one heads. But you got to make that decision. Then lastly, number four. I am responsible for myself and my personal wholeness. I can I can blame no one but myself for my situation if I refuse to make a good decision. I can't blame anybody. My life is not based on, just because I had a bad environment. I don't I don't care if you were you were a product of a tryst in a back seat and you lived in public housing that were dealing, doing drug deals in your driveway that you saw as you had to go to public school and ride the public school bus and you got beat up 10 times 
before you got out of grade school. That may have been your environment, and I, I feel badly for that experience in your life. But can I share something with you? Jesus is bigger than that environment. I can tell you right now, I know people that grew up with all the money in the world. They had more money than they knew what to do with. They had all the cars. They had all the gizmos and gadgets and clothes and all the rest. And right now, they are in a mess. I'm telling you, Jesus is bigger than that environment. We are so busy thinking if we just change the environment, that is secular humanism right now, that says if we change people's environment, it will change the outcome. No, it won't. Because changing environment changing, changes nothing. You've got to change the heart. I don't care if you were on the, what side of the tracks you were on. You've got to reach the place where you say, it doesn't matter if I was born with, with a silver spoon in my mouth or, or if I was born with a McDonald's spoon in my mouth. It's not my environment. It's not your parents. You say, well, my, you don't know my parents. If you just understood my folks, let me tell you something. We all could tell parent stories in here. And I'll give you a hint. Your kids will tell parent stories. It's not the parent's fault. It's not. Listen, I want to do the best. I know I wasn't a perfect parent. And I'm quite sure there are areas that if you could get my sons and my daughter off to the side, they will roll their eyes and look. And I would probably even admit that I could have done that a whole lot better. But I'm, I'm looking at them and I will tell them it's not me. It is not my folks. It is not my grandparents. Now, I believe there can be generational curses that come down. We teach that and preach that and we break that. But I'm telling you, I must be responsible for myself. I can't keep saying, well, you don't understand. This just goes through my family tree. Well, then let's just dig up the roots right now in your life and get you planted somewhere else. Come on. So we're going to get whole. I don't want to beat you into wholeness. And really, I can't pray you into wholeness. You've got to decide. I want to be whole. I want to be functional. I want to be free. I wish I could guarantee you 24-hour results. I don't know that that can happen. I, I'm sure some things can. But more than that, I can, but I can begin to guarantee you that if you'll start even the small one, the baby steps, A year from now, you will not be the same person you are today. There's some of you right now that, that you've done this and you know, think back one year ago. Right now, think back. You would, you would honestly say, you would say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know that I knew all this, but I knew enough that I needed to make a couple good decisions here and there. And you are at a totally different place than you were even a year ago. That's what can happen. You can, you can live 20, 30 years for the devil and if you'll just give God a year, now, you need to give them more than that. But, that. but do you understand? 30 years to just one. Most people think 30 years to a couple days. Wouldn't that be nice? But you've got decisions that you've got to make. Would you stand with me, please? In just a minute, I'm going to ask us to do something right now. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say so you just don't repeat after me and I catch you off guard because you may not want to say it. So I'm going to tell you, just don't repeat after me yet. But, but in just a minute, I'm going to lead you in something. Really, it's a commitment before the Lord.
And this is what it's going to say. It's going to say, Lord, I am to the place in my life that I am ready and I am willing and I am able to make a good decision. Now, I want you to, I want you to really let that just soak in you for just a minute. Now, listen to me. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. You're going to walk out of this place this morning. You're going to go back to your family. You're going to go back to your friends. You're going to go back to your coworkers, And you're going to walk into that situation. And instantly your eyes are going to see a valley. You're going to look in your office. You're going to look in your school. You're going to look in the, your, your household maybe. Your, your family, your extended family. You're going, to, you're going to walk in and all of a sudden your eyes are going to see something different. You're going to see a valley. And you're going to see all these people who are in the valley of decision. And the question is whether or not, not whether or not they will step out. The question is whether or not you're going to step out of it or not. So, so if that really is in your heart this morning, then what I want us to do is I want us just to make that kind of confession. That in these next weeks, we're going, we're going to embrace and begin to put into motion whatever it needs to to happen in order for us to begin to make those good decisions so why don't we do that if you're ready to do it if you're not don't say it but if you are just repeat after me say lord i'm to the place in my life i am ready willing and able to make good decisions thank you lord for empowering me by your grace to do exactly that. In Jesus name. Now with heads bowed. And eyes closed. And no one looking around. I want to ask this question right now. If you're here this morning. And you've never opened up your heart. And asked Jesus Christ to become Lord of your life. If you've never said yes to the Lord. Or. If you've wandered away from him again i'm not in a theological debate i don't really care what someone told you decades ago maybe you did walk an aisle when you were like eight years old but it's been years since you've been to the house of god maybe to a church you just know you're not right before the lord right now and before you leave this morning this is this is the first decision i want you to consider jesus said if you'll confess me before men i'll confess you before the father he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So the first decision Jesus asks any of us to make is this. Will you decide for me in front of everybody? Now, it may not be your first time, but if you still need to get right before the Lord, why not let that be your first decision? Your first good decision is, before I go, I'm going to nail this thing and I'm going to get right before the Lord this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus, I want to encourage you. That's where it starts. He can't be Lord unless you invite him in and make him Lord. And that's a decision that you've got to make. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and we're not going to do any music or anything like that, it's just a decision. You say, well, that's hard. It could be. But you know what? It's important. And it may be the first of a few hard ones. There'll be some easy ones too. But it doesn't matter. It's a decision you have to make. So why don't you right now slip out from where you're standing and just come down here and join me right now and say, I want to get right with God before I leave the church today. I, it doesn't matter. First time, last time, 
It doesn't matter. I want to get right with God before I leave the church today. I just, this is a good decision and I want to make it. Some, some have come already. You won't be the only one here. Why don't you come on down right now? I want to be right before I go today. How about it? How about you? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work on you for just a minute. Holy Spirit, just work on us just a little bit. And woo your people to the place where they would say, yep, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. God bless you. There's another one. And that's just the Spirit of God, and that's how he does it. People making decisions, I can respect that. I want to make a good decision right here. I want to get my life started right, right here. Come on, saints, just begin to pray a little bit. You can pray, and maybe you need to pray for yourself right now. But you can pray for a neighbor. If you say, no, I feel like I'm on track, then that's great. You can pray. Intercede right now. Come on, how about you? I don't want to close. If I could wait all afternoon, I'd wait all afternoon. But this, it all boils down to a decision. Just a decision. Just say yes, quickly, yes. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it.